Spirit. All right, so Team Grace, for our National Eucharistic Revival, we've been going through the parts of the Mass and then the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the second part on the Eucharist, that part on the Eucharist in the second part of the Catechism. And what I'd like to do for our homily this Sunday is pause on the Catechism, just for this Sunday, because I really want to talk about a very important part of the Mass that we need to make sure we clarify, because there's a lot of misunderstanding. And then next week, I want to talk about several numbers in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So we're going to pause the Catechism and focus on the parts of the Mass. Before I dive into the parts of the Mass, let me just ask a few basic questions. Team Grace, how many major parts are there of the Mass? Four, exactly. What's the first part of the Mass? Excellent. The introductory rites. And the second part? Excellent. And we know that we are right now in our homily series in the Liturgy of the Word. Last week, we spoke about the Gospel Proclamation. This weekend, we want to talk about the homily, the liturgical homily. And again, it's very important that we understand what the homily is supposed to be. Before diving into the homily, let me just make a general observation, general question. Have you ever thought you knew something, and then later you realized that you were wrong? And sometimes you may have known that for years or thought something for years or decades, and then suddenly you realize that was completely wrong. Let me give you a ridiculous example. When I was in college, I had a student job through the university, a program called SWAP. It was an acronym, Student Work Opportunity Program. So they spelled SWAP, S-W-O-P. Well, I didn't realize that that wasn't the proper spelling of SWAP. That's how I've always spelled SWAP. It wasn't until this year <laughs> that someone pointed out to me that it was spelled S-W-A-P. And you know what I did? No, it's not. <laughs> Got all defensive. No, it's not. No way. You're wrong. So I had to check twice. Look it up. No, 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 no. You, know, you can never trust the internet, right? Look it up again, S-W-A-P. I thought, how have I gone through the past couple decades misspelling this word? I was completely wrong, but I always thought I was right. And that's just a petty, ridiculous example. But sometimes there are big, important things in our life that we think one thing, and then suddenly we begin to realize that we were wrong or our understanding was incomplete. Let's talk about Christian discipleship. There are a lot of people who were taught a certain understanding of discipleship. And oftentimes now, when they are told, well, that was incomplete or misguided, people can get very upset, defensive. So let's have a hypothetical conversation with someone. If we were to say to someone, what is Christian discipleship? And they were to say, well, Christian discipleship means I go to Mass on Sunday and Holy Days, I send my kids to Catholic school, and I give Father a few bucks in order to support the parish. Wow. That's what they think Christian discipleship is. But then suddenly they begin to realize and hear that discipleship is more. And they get a little defensive. But they're like, no, 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 no. I have been Catholic my whole life. I went to Catholic school. This is what I was taught. And perhaps it was. Or perhaps they misunderstood the priests or the religious sisters of the past because they were in the second and fourth or sixth grade, right? But no, no, that's what I was taught. Okay, well, let's have another conversation. Let's ask someone else, what is discipleship? And that person were to say, discipleship means I follow Jesus Christ. Okay, we're off to a good start because the holy name is being referenced, huh? 
The first answer, did you notice, didn't even talk about Jesus. How can you say that's Christian discipleship but you're not even talking about the Lord? So we ask the second person, what is discipleship? It means I follow Jesus Christ. Okay. What does that mean? It means my entire life is placed under His Lordship. That I die to myself in order to live for Him. Oh, uh uh-huh. Now we're starting to see a discipleship that we see in the Scriptures. But let's push a little bit more because things can still seem a little hypothetical. So we push a little bit more and say, what does that mean practically? What does that look like? And the person were to say, that means I give mercy when I don't want to. It means I look to Jesus' Lordship to determine how I vote, how I spend my money, how I use my sexual powers, how I plan my family. Everything I do, I look and place under His Lordship. Alright, good. That's a person that understands discipleship. But that person oftentimes stands as a sign of contradiction to the person who has a misunderstood understanding of discipleship. And oftentimes the person who's defining discipleship in this way can provoke others. No, no, no. That's not discipleship. I've even heard people say, that's radical. I've heard people say, that's Protestantism. My goodness, is that where we are? That when biblical discipleship is presented to the Catholic Christian faithful, the reaction is to dismiss it? You see, dear friends, whenever we think we know one thing and we realize we're wrong, we have an option. We can either change our understanding and have a grace of conversion, or we can be in denial and reject it. I can still be spelling swap, S-W-O-P, right? But I realized that was, I was wrong, so I just changed, In greater matters of our life, when we understand that we were incomplete or wrong, we have a choice to change or to reject what's been given. And there are some that have now the full understanding of discipleship presented to them, and they choose to reject it. No, 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 no. This is what discipleship is. I don't have to pray. I don't have to read the Bible. I don't have to go to confession. I don't have to serve the poor. But you know what's interesting? We don't have to have arguments about opinions over Christian discipleship. We just have to look to the Scriptures. And the Lord Jesus is very clear in what it means to be one of His disciples. If you want to follow Me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and come after Me. The Lord Jesus would tell us that if we're not willing to die to ourselves, He will say, that we are not worthy of Him. If we're not willing to die to all that we think or we feel or what we want to do, we are not worthy of Him. So we can look right to the Scriptures and see how the Lord defines discipleship. And if we're still not sure, we can go to the Acts of the Apostles and see how the early Christians lived. And then if we really need clarification, we can go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And Mother Church is very clear about what it means to be a disciple. So suddenly now we have the full understanding of discipleship presented to us, and we have to ask, what are we going to do? Are we going to seek the graces of conversion to understand this is what it means to be a disciple? Because I'll tell you what we oftentimes do is we create options. We make demands into options. The Lord commands, we turn into an option. The Lord commands us, go and serve the sick, the poor, the suffering. Oh, that that doesn't apply to me. I have a job and family. I'm okay. I don't have to do that. 
I didn't see a footnote in that command. Huh? So the choice is simply one of obedience. Will I do what the Lord has commanded or am I going to turn into an option? And my goodness, in the West, we are so quick to turn commands into options. Here's what we also do. We create barriers and boundaries with the living God. We use expressions such as, I don't feel comfortable or I don't want to. <laughs> Let me help you. Those aren't reasons not to do something in the Christian way of life. I don't want to. Okay, good. You've recognized that. Now die to it and do what your Lord commands. Huh? I don't want to forgive that person. I hate that person. I want that person to go to hell. I hate them. Okay, good. You've recognized some really strong emotion. Now die to that and obey your Lord and give mercy. I don't want to. Well, that's not a good enough excuse and that doesn't hold any water in the Christian way of life. You are called to die to yourself. Come and pray for the unborn in front of an abortion facility. Oh, I don't want to do that. That's uncomfortable. Okay, good. You've recognized that. Now die to it and do as your Lord has commanded. For we Christians defend the vulnerable and the weak. But we do it all the time. We begin to think that that's acceptable in discipleship. But dear friends, biblically, every time we carve out something from what the Lord has commanded, we have created an idol. I will do everything the Lord has commanded except what, except what happens in my bedroom. Okay, good, idol. I'll do everything what the Lord commands, but I'm going to spend my money however I want. Okay, idol. I'm going to do everything the Lord has commanded, but I'm not going to give mercy to that person. Okay, idol. And you have to choose in your life. Are you going to worship the Lord Jesus or are you going to worship your own idols? Are you going to recognize those idols and ask the grace of God to destroy them? That you might give your entire heart and your whole being to the Lord? Or are you going to continue to live a fragmented understanding of discipleship and as a liar as you claim to be a Christian? When in fact you are not following the Lord Jesus, you are only following yourself. And what you want, what you prefer, what you think. That's not Christian discipleship. So once we hear again what discipleship is, we have to ask ourselves, am I going to accept and change? Ask for the grace of conversion? Or am, or am I going to remain obstinate? No, no, this is discipleship. I know what I have to do, only these things, and that's it. Okay, so that's one thing that we can sometimes misunderstand. Here's another thing that we can think we know, but the reality is most likely different. The liturgical homily. Have you ever wondered why only an ordained person can preach? Only a bishop, priest, or deacon. Sometimes you might think, you know, I know some people in the congregation, they're better public speakers, they might do a better job. Huh? Now we have lay people who are well-trained theologians. They might have theological knowledge greater than the local priest. So maybe they should get up and preach. But that shows a misunderstanding. The homily isn't about oratorical ability or even theological knowledge. The homily is about the ordained person and the grace of holy orders being used by the Holy Spirit in order to apply the gospel to the life of the Christian believers. That's why the grace of holy orders is necessary because of what the Holy Spirit desires to do. The Holy Spirit works through the ordained minister in order to give instruction and conviction. But what happens when we look at the homily nowadays? My goodness, it grieves me to see what my brother priests and what deacons have done to the homily. 
They've turned it into story time. Some joke time. They got up there and they just tell a cute story, a joke, retell you the gospel that you just heard, and then send you on your way. And it gets to the point where people think that's what the homily is supposed to be. No, no, no. In the homily, Father, you're supposed to encourage us and make us feel good about, your, about ourselves. Really? I think you need to just watch a rerun of Mitchell Rogers' Neighborhood. Because right? that's not the task of the homily. But it's what has become the homily to the point where, understandably, people might think that's what the homily is supposed to be. So then suddenly we get these questions. Why is he always raising his voice? Because he has something to raise his voice about. Why is the homily so long? Because the homily is about instruction. And my goodness, are we behind the power curve? There's a lot that the Holy Spirit desires to do. And we have this false understanding of what the homily is supposed to be. But that's incomplete. That's wrong. And I don't know for the life of me why certain priests or deacons allow the homily to become those things. I don't know if, 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 if it's because they need a narcissistic pat on the back. Or they somehow want to win the favor of the faithful. Or they don't want to speak about hard things. Or perhaps they've gotten too lax in their own theological studies and they don't readily have the knowledge available. Or perhaps they haven't even prepared a homily and they're just shooting from the hip. I don't know what it is and it's none of my business, but I can look and say the Spirit of God is not working in that false homily. Because St. Paul tells us very clearly that the fruit of apostolic preaching is conviction. That means if you walk out of a Mass and there was a liturgical homily and you are not convicted, that priest or deacon failed in his sacred duties. If you walk out and you just feel good about yourself and you got some warm fuzzies and that's all you received, that priest or deacon failed in his duties. Last week we heard from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, St. Justin was describing worship in the early church. And you recall what St. Justin told us? He said that the presider, most likely the bishop, would then stand up and challenge and admonish those present to live by the mysteries that were being celebrated. Challenge and admonish. The Holy Spirit has a work to do among the people of God. The homily is first about instruction. You are to be taught about our faith. And secondly, about conviction. A prophetic application. So when you walk out of Mass, having heard a liturgical homily, there should be something in your heart, some movement of the Spirit, that calls you to greater fidelity to your discipleship. For example, I really need to go to confession, a person might say. I really need to begin to do something with the poor and the sick. I, I haven't really been reaching out to them. Or perhaps a person will say, I need to forgive my cousin who hurt me last year. Whatever it might be, a thousand different applications. You should walk out of Mass having heard a liturgical homily with conviction. Your heart has been opened, you have been instructed, and the Spirit of God has spoken to you and given you some clear conviction of what you are called to do as a Christian disciple. That's what the homily is supposed to be. And the homilist who prepares well and is faithful to that sacred duty will give you precisely that. Some of you know on Friday afternoons I go to see my mother. She's a relatively new widow, still grieving. 
And I go to see my mother on Fridays and I drive her around to run different errands, department stores, drug stores. We go to a restaurant to have lunch or something. And I feel the pressure of our secular world. You walk out of this sacred place and the world tells you God doesn't exist. God's not important. Shut up about your religious faith and your moral convictions. And you walk out in a secular world and you have to fight that. You have to fight it in your neighborhoods, your workplaces, among your friends, some of you even in your families. A secular world that will tell you God's not important. And on Fridays when I go and I'm walking around with my mom in public, I feel it. I feel that pressure. Everyone's looking at the little guy around my neck, that little white tab that everyone just wants to stare at. And I'll tell you, someone sneezes and I say, God bless you, everybody stops. Whoa, what? As if I just dropped the F-bomb, huh? <laughs> but it's okay, we have a culture where you can drop the F-bomb now, but you can't talk about God. Or to offer grace and to make the sign of the cross before lunch. There have been times where the whole restaurant around us has just stopped and stared at us. As if we had just dropped from Mars or something. So I feel the pressure that you have as Christians in the midst of a secular age. And you come here for worship in order to receive the grace of the Holy Sacrifice and Holy Communion and to receive the conviction of apostolic preaching. And for you to come in the midst of that world and for me to just give you cutesy stories and cotton candy, all fluff and no stuff, I find that terribly irresponsible. I am offended for you as the people of God who have to go in the midst of the world and fight and for you to come and have a spiritual father give you nothing for the fight but cutesy stories of warm fuzzies. No, you come, you need to receive instruction so that you can be made strong both by apostolic preaching and the grace of the sacrament. That you can then go in the midst of the world and have answers for those who challenge you. And that you might have the boldness to speak of Jesus Christ and to pray and to defend moral truth. We need that help. My goodness, look at the world. And then you come and you receive dribbage. Nothing of help. Nothing of conviction. And we see that in widespread preaching today. But not here at Our Lady of Grace, dear friends. Now I am your spiritual father and your shepherd. And I will continue to give homilies according to the mind of the church. I will instruct you and I will seek to give you conviction. I will allow the Holy Spirit to work through my ministry in order to help you to understand what it means to be a Christian. So you go out in the midst of the world and the world tells you to shut up. You're going to say, no, I have something to say. And this world tells you God doesn't exist. You can say, oh yes, He is. He is living and true. And you will know and have in your heart what you need in order to fulfill your vocation as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to preach. That's what a liturgical homily is. That's what you're supposed to be receiving. And again, if you are as shocked as, as I am, it's understandable. Because I myself look at popular preaching and I think, how is this? How can this possibly be passed off as apostolic preaching? So we had an understanding of what the homily was and now we see what the homily is supposed to be. And we have to make some decisions. We can say, no, 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 I don't want that type of preaching. No, no, I, I, I want the warm fuzzies. I want the story time. That's what I'm sticking with. Or you can say, you know, now I understand. 
I understand why the homilies are long. I understand why sometimes the priest will raise his voice. I understand now. That's going to open up my heart because I want to be a better disciple. I need that conviction as I go in the midst of the world. I need help. Because I know there have been times that the Lord has asked me to do things or I've been, I, I'm supposed to speak about Him and I didn't. And I know I'm going to need more strength. And so I pray that you open your heart to receive the apostolic preaching. That as the Lord proclaims His gospel in your midst, you receive those words and then hear the instructions given by the priest or deacon. That you might allow the Holy Spirit to touch your heart, to convict you, and that you might go in the midst of the world and do all that the Lord asks of you. So that's the homily difference. What the homily is supposed to be. As we celebrate this Mass, I ask that you receive the grace of the sacrament and that you open your heart to apostolic preaching. Because the vocation we've been given is not an easy one in our age. We walk outside, it's like walking in the mist, trying to walk into a sports arena. After a major event, everyone's coming out, we're trying to get in. All the pressure's against us, all the odds appear to be against us. But with the grace of God and the help of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we can remain faithful. And that is my prayer for you. As a fellow believer and as your shepherd, that you will remain faithful. That you will receive all that the Lord gives to you and that you will go out in the midst of the world and do all that the Lord asks of you. And that's all he asks of each of us. As we celebrate this Eucharist, ask for that grace and open your heart to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Worship him in spirit and truth and then go in the midst of the world and make disciples. Go in the midst of the world and teach all nations.